Servus and welcome to episode 14 of the Pro Hockey Pod. This week we're joined by another goalie. There seems to be a common theme here. I've had a couple goalies on. Uh, this guy actually is from the same town that I'm from. Uh, we got to know each other back in his college days. He actually trained with me one summer and then his career took off. So kind of weird how that happens. Uh Welcome to the podcast. Honest to God, don't know how to say your last name. Gonna butcher it. Evan Boyenhuis. <laughs> Not quite. Evan Boyenhuis. Boyenhuis. There we go. That's mm-hmm. a little better. Good clarification. But uh, yeah. yeah, thanks for coming on the pod. And uh, as I always start off, so as I said, you're from Burlington, mm-hmm. um, where I live now. Is that kind of where you you grew up, spent your childhood, and kind of fell in love with the game of hockey? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, pretty much grew up my whole life in Burlington and uh, played minor hockey there. Uh, definitely fell in love with hockey there, watching the Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh, that was one of my big, big reasons I wanted to play hockey. And what made you want to become a goalie? Like I know everyone has their own reasons. Whether it's hey, I want to get my mask painted. Uh, I like the equipment. Um, I didn't want to skate anymore. Like there's so many. There's so many reasons. So what was your reason? Uh, I said it was probably two reasons. Uh, the first being when I was playing uh, house league minor hockey, my first year or two, uh, I got, you know, everyone gets rotated through a net there to get a chance to try it out. And the second year, I think I was in net. We, you know, we won a couple of games. We played a tournament and the coach really wanted to win the tournament. So he said, we're keeping Evan in net for the tournament. And then we won the tournament and he just said, you're staying in net the rest of the season. And I loved it. So that was kind of the moment that I, I really knew that I wanted to be a goalie. But I think also around the same time, Curtis Joseph was the uh, the goalie for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he was just spectacular. So how could you not want to be a goalie watching him play? He was my favorite goalie as well. And that that actually yeah. was going to – I had a side comment. But you, and we'll probably cover it more later, is like you don't have, like I would say, the ideal goalie butterfly playing style like you are a you are a bad a battler i would say and that just now that you said that i'm like okay this all makes sense now because that was cujo like cujo mm-hmm. um i trained with his goalie coaches growing up got to spend some time with him and you know on most saves for example if a goalie would butterfly cujo's like nope just gonna do a one knee up one knee down maybe lift my <laughs> arm here and and that just kind of uh brought me back to thinking about you so did you kind of try to mimic your game off of how he played I wouldn't say I, I mimicked it off him, but I mean, I definitely watched a lot of him growing up. And another goalie that I really love is Mark Andre Fleury. So, kind of just two guys that are known for being, I guess the term would be gamers, you know, just battling, like you said, trying to make all the saves. But uh, yeah, I think just, you know, I've always been described as more athletic. And when I was growing up, uh, a lot of teams passed over because I, I wasn't uh, technically the most sound or blocking. And so, I've always tried to make the athleticism make up for that. But I think at this point, that's, uh, you know, it's fairly well balanced, but I definitely have my own style. Hey, it's good to be unique. And you brought up a good point there. Like, I think we were only three years apart in age. So, like, we would have been growing up kind of in our teens there where that blocking era really came in. I know a lot of goalies mm-hmm. were, or goalie coaches, sorry, were teaching that, like, hey, you know, stay tight, stay tight, make your shoulders big. And well, that worked for the, the six, four, six, five goalies, you know, for guys like us who aren't the biggest, you know, I think you're a good size goalie, but you have to have that athleticism. You kind of have to have those active hands at times. And that's mm-hmm. definitely what you have. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think actually 
you would know Adrian Volpe, his dad, uh, Mike used to, I played with his son, Patrick Volpe and, uh, Mike used to call me the octopus cause I was all over the place out there. So <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, Volpe yeah. obviously was my goalie partner growing up. So we know each other pretty well. I work out with him every, every morning right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember too that correct me if I'm wrong. Did you not like take some, you bought some of his gear when we were growing all up, the time? Yeah. Yeah, I used to. He had uh, he had the Curtis Joseph Bauer reactor yeah. pads. I got those, and then he had a bigger set of gold and blue and white Bauer pads, and I got those after. And then finally, I was able. My parents finally decided to get me some of my own pads after that. They they saw you were sticking with the position. They're like, okay, maybe we'll invest. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not a yeah. not a cheap position. Um, mm-hmm. just a little bit about your minor hockey path, like. You grew up in Burlington, but you did, didn't you like bump, uh, bump around a little, like you were sometimes in the Eagles and then you were also were in the Niagara Falls organization or, or correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, had a lot of great years playing AAA for the Eagles. And then, uh, one year I got cut and because there, it seemed to be a, it wasn't quite performance based. The organization gave me a release, which is not common in Burlington to go, uh, play somewhere else. So I went to Niagara Falls. And then I came back for that was for a minor midget, and then for a midget I came back to uh, to Burlington, um, and then I actually almost left to go to Oakville the year after that, but I thankfully was able to move into junior hockey instead. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, as I'll just say it bluntly, a lot of politics yeah. in, <laughs> in 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 minor hockey. Uh, one of my best friends is the Burlington midget AAA coach, and uh, I just even mm-hmm. remember when we were playing, like it's it's not always uh, performance based. There was you know, maybe a couple, couple of iffy decisions there on, on players making teams, but, uh, yeah, I guess that's part of it. Um, as you said, you transitioned to junior after junior after, sorry. So for me, when I look at your junior career, it's, it's really impressive to me because you started, for example, in grip for the Grimsby peach Kings. So very well-known junior C team. So this is tier three, or I guess you would say tier four, because if you include yeah. major, major junior, yes. so it'd be tier four, technically, uh, junior in Canada and um, we'll get into it because you obviously made your way up to the the second one you know the one without mm-hmm. going to the OHL but when you played that first year of junior C like were you thinking one day hey maybe I I can get NCAA or was the next step like hey I just want to play this year and then see what happens I mean at that point I still wanted to get a chance in the OHL uh, I know I went with uh, I went for a skate with like uh, Piero Greco, who at the time, who was the uh, Kitchener Rangers goalie coach. And I skated with Bill Dart or whatever his name was from London. So mm-hmm. I was trying to get skates with some other coaches in the OHL and see if they could, you know, still be interested. But uh, I mean, you know, people get drafted and they, they find kind of, I feel like they invest the resources in those kids. So once you don't get drafted, it's almost too late already. So found that out pretty quickly, but I knew I wanted to keep advancing in hockey, and I think it was probably the next season that I, I really realized I wanted to go play college hockey. Yeah, I mean, as I described before, like you played one year junior C, did really well. Then you go up to junior B, so a little higher level, definitely better hockey than, than junior C, I would say. Yeah. Did really well there. Then you go on to play two years uh, in the OJHL, so tier two uh, junior A, just below the the OHL there. And play really well as well, including your last year there, winning the year, uh, winning the championship, sorry, and going to eventually to the RBC Cup. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I've I've talked to a couple people about this, and you know, your story might have a different reason. But do you feel that 
you know, as you were playing as a, as a 19 year old, 20 year old goalie in junior, that, that allowed you to take more steps in your game than if, for example, someone who was 17. And then after that, they're like, Hey, when I turn 18, I'm going to college and making an even bigger step. Like, did you think you took the right path in terms of like movement and growth? Absolutely. I mean, I think that there's something to be said for excelling at, at each level before moving to the next one, right? And jumping from, say, junior C or junior B to a college level is a is a huge jump for sure. And, uh, I mean, I definitely learned a lot over the two years playing junior A at tier two level. Um, you know, things I wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to do otherwise. And I got the chance to go play, you know, win the, the league championship and go to the RBC Cup. So, Lots of playoff experience and and uh, really important game experience that that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And um, yeah, I just I mean I know lots of people who have tried to make jumps too too fast too soon, and and it doesn't usually uh, you know work out too well. But you know there are, are exceptional goalies and players out there that certainly make it look like it's possible. But I think that they're the exception and not the rule for the most part. Oh, I 100% agree. When I look back at my career, I really believe I probably should have played one more year junior. Like I had done well. I had my second year, I'd played for Team Canada there, but I still didn't know what it, what it took to be a D1 goalie at the time. So like, it's easy mm-hmm. to look back now, obviously. But I wanted to ask you, how was the experience at the RBC? Obviously, never never got there, but it's for those listening who don't know what it is. It's basically all the the tier two junior leagues in in Canada have, I believe, when we played, I believe it was one team from each province went and now I think it's expanded a little more, but how was that experience playing basically, you know, basically against the the country's best at the, at that level? I mean, it was pretty incredible hockey. Like uh, we didn't do incredibly well in the tournament. Uh, we had a, a win or two there, but we had some overtime losses that kind of just kicked us out in the end. But uh, every team there was, was great. And, you know, the team that ended up winning, we absolutely destroyed them in the round robin part of the tournament. So it felt like anyone who was hot at the right time could have won it. You know, ever the leagues were pretty, pretty even at that point. So uh, I think at that point, too, it was uh, they had regional, you know, after you won your league, you had a regional tournament to win, basically. And then the four regional tournaments came to the final tournament and one host team got to go in. So it was Vernon Vipers were the host team that year from the BCHL and um, I mean, every team was great. Vernon was, was, was good too, despite not having won their league, but, um, yeah, that was really cool. And just the, the amount of resources that they put into that and, you know, it being on TV and stuff was, it was pretty cool. I think now they've like, you guys obviously won the Dudley Hewitt there. I was talking to someone the other day. I think they've gotten rid of that now. So I think there's like three, uh, three teams from Ontario that I'm going, like there's one from the OJ, there's one from the. NOJHL and then yeah then the CCHL or whatever so there ends up being more teams but uh I mean you're just you're just a humble guy yeah we didn't really do that well there but you know you played four games had a 924 save percentage two goals again so you had your guy I Uh, I literally know I can still picture it there was a an overtime loss against Carlton Place Canadians where I had the old cowling style CCM or uh Reebok 11k skates and I probably needed new blades about a month earlier and the cowling just kicked out. I lost it, and then the guy ran, wrapped it around me. So I still know that goal because of my skates. So if there's video evidence, we'll have to submit it to the league and uh, get the yeah. get the OT reverse there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So then after that, you uh, or I want I guess one, where we should transition first is so at this point you're you're in you're playing OJHL for those last two years. 
are you getting uh any 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 d1 interest and also has your focus shifted because you talked about how you always wanted to play ohl when you were growing up so has your focus at that point shifted like yeah not really likely because i only have two more years and i'm just going to mm-hmm. try to get a, a scholarship yeah i think my my focus probably shifted actually when i was 18 playing in thorold that i i knew i wanted to go play college hockey i, I didn't you know know a lot of specifics about it at the time but uh, i knew that that was education was important to me and i knew that that would be a good route for me i would do well on that route but uh yeah those those two years in oakville I I was talking to lots of teams. I took the SAT. I did really well on that, and that opened a lot of doors for me as well. But it just seemed like the whole time, the whole two years, that it was just bad timing for me. Uh, Lots of teams talking, not a lot of teams having scholarship money available or willing to take a chance on a goalie from Ontario uh, for some reason. And, uh, and, you know, lots of teams that came through and then kind of fell out. I think I talked to Niagara University both the 19- and 20-year-old year they said that they were going to make an offer and then just pulled it back at the last second. Um, and, you know, lots of teams like that. So I, I, I had, I probably talked to a total of maybe 15 to 18 schools, division one that were interested and it just wasn't, uh, they, they didn't want to put the money, their money where their mouth was and, and, you know, really take me on as a, as someone that would be a future starter in their program. So, um, it just wasn't the right timing, and uh, there was lots of Division three schools, so I could I could make my pick of those, uh, kind of have a ranking of them, and then hopefully they fell in line when uh, when D one didn't quite work out. Yeah, I mean sometimes it's you know as you said it, you have to have some luck. Um, the Niagara story that's probably honestly because of me because I was the last OJHL goalie to go there. I would have just <laughs> left there at that time, and they probably weren't happy with me. So <laughs> uh, sorry for that, but I I think it turned out uh, pretty good for you. But in yeah. terms of going D three, um, obviously I was a product of D three too. At the end, uh, we played against Hamilton a couple times. Like Hamilton is a very pristine school for education, so. Just talk to me about your your experience there. Uh, you know, kind of like how the campus was and stuff, and 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 the schooling. Because, um, and also I want to know, did, did they have like packages there in terms of like you know whether it's like scholarships or like uh, academic scholarship or financial stuff that way? Yeah. So Hamilton is uh, usually on the small like small school scale of the U.S. It's usually ranked in the top fifteen in the whole country. So it's academically an incredible school and uh along with that it's a it's a very beautiful place like i remember walking around on my tour it was literally the middle of like january it was snow everywhere insanely cold and uh and just being like wow like this place is so beautiful like the doors like you looked like you were going through castles and stuff like that so it was uh it was really cool uh i was i was pretty excited about just you know the feeling of it all before i even got there and then uh Going to school there, you had a lot of guys that were um, great, just great hockey players that couldn't quite, you know, put up enough points to be a D1 player or a D1 star, but lots of smart players, right? And also going to a, a high, you know, highly regarded educational school, uh, players needed to be smart to get in, in as well, right? So you ended up with a lot of smart hockey players that just aren't quite talented enough necessarily to make the next jump. So the hockey was, was great. I know that the, the NESCAC, the conference that Hamilton plays in was a, a very competitive conference, always had teams that were nationally ranked. So um, I, you know, the hockey was great. 
the education was incredible. I loved being able to uh, basically take all kinds of classes and, and go outside of my major. And I think, you know, for my major, I was only required to do 13 or 14 specific classes and then everything, you know, the rest of the classes I could take whatever I wanted. So I was taking like, you know, history of Pompeii and art classes and geology classes. So uh, I think for me, it was just a, a great decision and a great place to go. They didn't have, uh, you know, most division three schools don't do athletic scholarships or packages like that. And then on top of that, uh, Hamilton doesn't do any, or academic scholarships coming in because all the students are expected to be academically, you know, very smart. So deciding who gets those scholarships would be kind of impossible for the school. So uh, they do financial aid. So they basically look at uh, yours or your parents' tax returns from previous years, see how much money is available, and then they try to make a a reasonable amount. So I think that probably half of the student body there, their parents are just really well off and are paying the full amount every year. Maybe another quarter is paying, you know, half of the amount. And then the last 25% are probably paying, you know, less than half down to nothing to go to the school there. So it's a pretty cool opportunity for people who don't have, uh, you know, a great financial upbringing coming, coming into school. Um, and it gives you a, a really diverse student population. Yeah, as you said, like that diversity, you'd have like the the top, you know, classes where, you know, their parents are paying for everything. You'd have like the middle where it's kind of 50-50 and then you have the ones where, you know, they're on the the financial aid or whatever based on the process that you said. But I always knew Hamilton College, like when we would go play there, like the guys were like, you know, this is like one of the Harvards of Division Three in terms of hockey and like, you know, that the school has a tremendous reputation, Um, you know, getting a degree from there is looks pretty good on it. A resume oh, yeah. and you know all the players there like we'll just say it like as it is like they're all very smart guys but they're also very hard working mm-hmm. uh in the classroom and also off the ice and on the ice because you know to be able to juggle all that and keep your grades up like that's student athlete student first like it's a tough uh tough thing to do especially at a school like that but you yourself i mean like you talked about it you, you think it was a perfect school for you like you love the campus you love the the feel of it and you end up playing there for four years and your last three years, you were, you know, playing majority of the games as a starter and you were putting up tremendous numbers. Like to, to say this bluntly, like your worst season was a 1.79 goals against. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, that's not downplaying your conference by any means. That's just you were in the zone like a 90, 944 save percentage, 943, 941, 954 your senior year. So uh, hockey was easy for you in college. <laughs> that's what's, well, you know, one way to look at it. Uh, I like to think that, uh, you know, I was ready for that step and it was probably a good, uh, maturity level, uh, you know, getting to play there for four years to, to get to the next level after, but, uh, you know, with the, the NASCAC also having so few games and, you know, division three in general, having fewer games than division one, every game is important. Right. And, uh, all those in-conference games are so important. So it's a, it's a really high-stakes environment, and you have to be ready to perform. And I like to think that I kind of had it figured out going in there. So, Yeah, I mean, you were one season, you were, you were player of the year in your division, couple conference teams. So I'd say player of the year, division three as well. Not yeah. a big deal. Uh, guy on my team, Oswego, won that too. So that must be a cool <laughs> award. But yeah. uh, 
I want, I want just a, one more question I had. We kind of touched on it before about this was, do you think you going at a at 21 as a goalie, you know, everyone says goalies mature later and you going to college at 21, and especially after having the run you had the year before in junior with going to the RBC really helped you with that adjustment being, I'm not saying easy, but easier than it would have been if you had had to go at maybe 18, 19. I think so. I mean, I, I also think the division three versus division one would have, would, would help as well in that regard. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I just always, I'm a, I'm a creature of habit and I like being comfortable when I'm doing stuff. So, um, you know, yeah, the more, the older you are, the more experience you have, the more comfortable you are. And so just those extra, that extra year of junior and, and getting to, you know, go into college and be 21 and you don't have to stress about things like when you're going to parties, you can legally drink and all these things. Right. So, you know, it's just a, a much more comfortable environment to be in, you know, going to school in the U S as a 21 year old kid. Yeah, that was, I love how the first thing you say is, you know, I want to be comfortable, don't have to stress about things, you know, 21, I can legally drink. I love it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but yeah, that is a stress. If you go younger, uh, you got to find yeah. one of those fake ID things. But, um, so then transitioning from college, mm-hmm. you finish your senior year, you get the call to the AHL. So you go trauma marley's for the rest of the season um unfortunately you don't get in a game but i'm sure that experience for the last couple months was uh pretty crazy i'm i don't know how they did exactly that year but i'm sure they had a long playoff run because they were normally are a pretty strong team talk about that experience you know coming from d3 and going right to the hl so one level below the show yeah i mean that was uh that was special uh the last two games of the regular season or the, uh, of my season in college uh the Toronto Maple Leafs had a scout looking at me. So um, I knew that they were interested in, in, but they, they told me after that, that they just didn't, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have space right now. They had people in the ECHL, they had guys in the American league and they obviously had Frederick Anderson and uh, someone else in, in the NHL. So um, I, you know, they told me we don't have space. And so I basically was looking for an ECHL team to go to after that season was done and then I went home for spring break from school, waiting to decide which ECHL team I was going to. And uh, I was watching the Leafs game with my parents, and Frederick Anderson goes down, goes down with an injury in the first period. And I said, huh, "Wouldn't it be funny if I got a phone call right now?" And uh, 20 minutes later, they they called me and said, "Can you be at uh, Rico Coliseum and like tomorrow morning at 8:30?" I was like, "Yeah, we'll see you there." Right. So um, basically, that was no, that was just surreal for it to happen that way. And then, uh, you know, Calvin Pickard and Garrett Sparks were there and they're both, uh, they've both been around the league, Calvin Pickard, especially he's an absolute veteran of the, of the AHL. So it was cool to get to kind of like watch and learn from them. Uh, Frederick Anderson wasn't really hurt. He just wanted some time off apparently. So Garrett Sparks was back with the Marlies about four days later. So I got to go for a couple games back up, but they kept me around and, uh, let me practice with the team kind of as their third guy. And, uh, I, you know, I learned so much, got, got a good experience with their goalie coaches, got to meet lots of people, you know, it's kind of cool to see lots of those guys are in the NHL now at this point. So, uh, you know, I had a great time there and then the Leafs had drafted, uh, Ian, um, McAdam. Well, yeah. Or no, Ian Scott, Ian Scott, Ian yeah. Scott. They had drafted Ian Scott the previous year. So he finished his season in the WHL and then they brought him in and then I got sent home. And they promptly went off and won the uh, and won the championship that year. So I 
I got to watch them. You know, I got to watch Ian Scott get a game and everything, but it was just cool that I got to spend so much time there. I, I enjoyed my time there. Tremendous experience for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, conveniently, you know, this all happened the summer after we met each other and worked together. So who knows? Brag. Who knows? Humble brag. Um, yeah. No, but so then after that, so as you said, like, and this this gets to my next point is you're an undrafted goalie. How tough it is, you know, especially a team like Toronto, like every year they're taking a goalie, throwing someone in their system, whether they're at college, major, junior, then they're going to go to the coast, AHL, whatever. So very hard. You definitely have to get a chance to impress and take it. And unfortunately, you weren't able to get any games. But the next three, four years of your career, you start what I call the the grind because as i just mentioned as an undrafted un you know ahl 2a whatever kind of goalie it's hard to to stick around in the coast because a minute you know someone needs games they come down and you're kind of pushed out but you you know like we talked at the start you're a battler you battle through everything like you persevered and you know you're getting you know 30 games a year basically playing and playing the coast so just Talk about like how how you were able to do that and how it was kind of you know playing in a league like the the ECHL. Well, I think uh, to start it all off, I was a little bit more fortunate than your average Division three goalie, partly because of that Toronto experience and the goalie coach from there, Piero Greco, actually left and went to the Islanders. So I got invited to their their rookie camp and their main camp, and then sent to the American League camp, and then finally to their affiliate in Worcester, Massachusetts. So. Um, basically I worked through the whole system. They all got to see that I could do it. And, uh, and so I knew I I had a spot with Worcester if I wanted it before those training camps to begin with, but it sounded like I'd probably get an American league deal with Bridgeport that year as well. And so camp went, you know, came and went no deal. And so I just, you know, started the season in Worcester, but I was lucky because the spot was basically reserved for me already there, partly because of that training camp invite to, uh, to the Islanders. Um, and then, you know, we get called up to uh, Ontario rain that, that fall, uh, Bridgeport wasn't happy about that. So they said, you know, we're going to sign you just so no one else can take you. And so for that first two years, basically, because I was signed with Bridgeport, I was fortunate that, you know, no one else was coming down because I was one of those guys. And, uh, and basically, you know, they wouldn't trade me because I wasn't really a huge trade asset as well. You know, you're a goal in the ECHL that's untested. You know, people are trading for NHL and American League goalies. They're not. They're not worried about you. So, I was fortunate to be kind of locked in for those two years in Worcester and be able to build a resume there. Because you know, I had a goalie partner in my first year, Mitch Gill, and he was a great guy. And he was the starter when I came in there. Uh, he kind of faltered a little bit at one point, and I stepped in and had a great run. So, you know, proved to the coaches there that I could do it. And then the next year, I was back and you know was able to keep doing it again until I got injured. So. Um, Basically, you know, that those first two years gave me a foothold in the league that I don't think I would have had had I not gone to the the Islanders camp or to the Toronto, you know, team at the end of the season. So after that, it was basically, you know, now you're an ECHL free agent. Now you have to battle for a spot amongst all these American League and NHL goalies that I previously was fortunate enough to be. Um, and at that point, you know, I was lucky that I had the resume I already had and I had two good years basically in Worcester and um you know, the third year was the COVID year. So uh, I got to go to, got to go to Utah and, and spend some time there and uh, was playing. Okay. I got traded around a few times just because of the American league goalies coming down. And then 
finally settled in Wichita and just, you know, it was just uh, a lot of great players there and it was a fun, fun uh, time to be there. And, and the, the ECHL was smaller that year, so it was more competitive. And uh, I had a great time, a great season there. And uh, that really set me up for the following season. Wichita needed, wanted me back. And I think, you know, obviously I, I think it's hard uh I've seen it's hard to get into the league as just an ECHL free agent goalie at this point. There's almost no teams left that take them. Um, So I was fortunate based on those first two years that I I set myself up well. And after that, they just consider you a pro goalie and, and they're happy to have you, but there's not many of those spots left out there. Well, you talked, you made a couple of good points. So first about just kind of, you know, your experiences in in, with the Marlies meeting uh, the goalie coach there that led you to being invited here and here. So it's kind of like, you know, knowing the right people, it's all about who you know, and also just kind of like things lining up where you get these opportunities. But the other side of it, which I'll say, and I think the reason is why you keep getting jobs, even through, you know, years where, you know, COVID, there's not much going on, like, you know, bouncing around a bit is every goal, you're able to put up good numbers, You're, you're creating that reputation of uh evan is a reliable goalie uh he's gonna give us you know a chance to win every night and that's like the big thing and even though like you know sometimes it is a battle like you're still being known as a a good teammate but also someone that can you know battle for his 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 guys and is gonna give them a chance to win every night uh through a good style or or a bad style (laughs) yeah yeah that's why i hope i do i hope i give him a chance to win every night but you know I think so. I mean, your numbers speak for themselves. Um, then that, uh, you know, basically two seasons ago, as you said, you went back to Wichita there, um, call up to Bakersfield, I see. And then you you transitioned to to Europe. So you went to Norway. So a league I played in, you went to Storhammer. So very good team, a uh, team that's definitely every year up for uh, the title run. I would say them and uh, Stavanger are usually the top two. Um, what led to that decision to to try europe and kind of how did that uh experience go there uh i mean so i i had met uh during the covid year i met uh, a european agent when i was in florida briefly and he was just trying to add a goalie to his roster of, of players and uh after that season he asked if i wanted to go to europe and i said i, I wasn't ready so i played that that season with uh with wichita and got called into bakersfield he called me a few times, said, uh, you know, there's a team that needs a goalie. Are you interested? And I'd say no. And so finally in January, late January, he calls me and says, look, there's an opportunity here. And if you don't take it, you're an idiot. And so I basically said, all right, like, tell me what it is. Where am I going? What all this is? And uh, he said, yeah, you know, it's not locked in yet, but there's a team in Norway that needs a goalie. Norway is probably the most comfortable place for you to go and transition to a European league. You know, they're going to be speaking English really well. It's going to feel like home. Um, you know, the pay is going to be good. So uh, basically, he put my name in the hat for that, and I got the job. And I, I had to tell my my girlfriend at the time, like, look, I can't not take this opportunity. I have to see you in a couple months. But uh, but yeah, so he got me on the on the Europe Europe train kind of thing, and uh, I I was really really just I mean. Going to uh, Storhammer in Norway was kind of like uh, probably my the best introduction to European hockey I could have had. It was just like I said before, I like to be comfortable, and it just felt like felt like home there. So, yeah, I was really happy that he came to me with that opportunity. 
you guys obviously had a, I mean, you were there just kind of at the end. I know with their visa stuff, it takes a little longer um, with their government, but you, you know, had a long playoff run. I believe you guys went to the finals that year. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, didn't win it. But I wanted to ask you, so what, what do you mean when you said when this, when this agent's coming to you being like, hey, I got an opportunity here and you're like, I'm not ready. What does that yeah. mean? I don't know. I, I touched on it just a second ago. I, I'm comfortable in some certain places, right? I was in Wichita. I was uh, playing every game that I could have wanted. You know, I, I had like a 17 game start streak that season where basically I, I just, if I wanted to play, I was playing, right? And uh, I had my own little apartment, which is unusual for ECHL players. I had a single apartment, and everyone else usually gets doubles. Uh, I was pretty much happy for the for the most part. So, it needed to be something, you know, really good to to rip me away from that. You know, my girlfriend was there at the time as well, and uh, it just was comfortable. Everything was 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 in the right spot there, and and uh, you know, I didn't want to up uproot it all just to just to go jump ship and go somewhere else at the end of the season. But but uh, such an incredible opportunity came up, I couldn't really say no. No, that's fair. I was just curious because obviously, you know, some guys are maybe like, as you said, like I'm comfortable here. It's a different type of lifestyle in, in Europe, but other people would have been like, no, maybe if I have a good year here, I can get an, an AHL deal and get a call up. I know, like, for example, I know a couple of goalies that one, I was working for another team in Germany. We were trying to get them to come. We we're looking for an import goalie. And the guy's like, no, I think I'm going to get called up next year at the AHL and they end up not. But yeah, you know, I, I understand mean, that- it from that point. That, that did sort of factor in as well. I mean, I, the year I went to Norway, uh, I was up and down with Bakersfield a few times, right? And I, you know, the first time um, was on a they went on a road trip. It was like a, a eight game road trip basically, and Stuart, Stuart Skinner played every single game. And uh, we were in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Uh, we had a four four and five, right? We were playing Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Stuart Skinner played Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. And Sunday comes around and I'm like, okay, this is a hundred percent of my game. Stuart Skinner is walking around the locker room loudly going like, Oh, I'm so tired. I can't play tonight. Right. And I'm like, yes, this is going to happen. And then they call us for a meeting and say the game got canceled because of one player on, on Abbotsford got COVID. So that was like my one shot. And then after that, that didn't happen. I was like, well, it's not happening again this year. I'm not going to get a chance this year. So I left. Um, and then this past season was basically, I, I was saying to myself, like, this is the last year I'm playing in the ECHL. Like I'm, I'm not grinding it out, you know, so many games for, for, you know, such little pay, um, basically just to hope that I'm going to get called up one day. And I stuck it out for a little bit. That was like, you know, I'd love to get one American league game, but I haven't been fortunate enough to do that yet. So I figured, uh, at some point you can just tell when it's not going to happen the affiliate in Wichita this year was San Jose and they had, when I signed with Wichita again, and then uh, San Jose was announced as the new affiliate. They had seven NHL goalies signed for six spots, basically. So they traded away one of them. Another one basically needed hip surgery. The other one ended up being uh, <laughs> completely injured as well during the season. So I ended up being the only goalie in Wichita for most of the time as well, but we had Strauss man, the uh, U S Olympic goalie there. And uh, so I just figured like, there's no chance I'm going to get a game with, with San Jose, even if I get called up, no one else is calling up outside their organizations. Cause they all, like you said, are drafting so many goalies that they don't have spots anymore either. And 
you know, if playoffs came around in San Jose, Barracudas, who were in last place, aren't going to be in the playoffs, they're going to send Strauss man back down to the ECHL and he's going to play games. Right. So I just figured that it was my time to kind of get out of there. And, you know, I was done with that. So that's fair. You brought up a really good point and something I've wondered. I haven't like, just to be blunt, I haven't played in the ECHL. I've gone to a couple camps. Again, I was undrafted. So kind of things didn't work out, but I've always wondered when I have when I see players, goalies, it doesn't matter when they play so long in that league and just I know the pay scale and, yeah. the, ga- and the games and the games they play and the travel and like, you know, some it's it's going to be family re- reasons or, or personal reasons why they never go to Europe. And I totally understand that. But some guys I'm like, you know, why not give it a chance for a year or two? Like you'll get paid better in Europe. The lifestyle is so much uh, better. It's relaxed. Uh, you know, you're playing whatever, two, three games in the full week instead of, you know, four, four and fives, like, and stuff like that. And it's just, as I said, never played there. So I don't know the experience. I'm sure many organizations treat guys. Well, it's just one of those mm-hmm. things that's always been like a question in my head, but um, you evidently, so this year, as you said, you gave it one more shot. And then at the end, uh, the Adler Mannheim give you a call. And like you said before, this is kind of a opportunity that you can't, uh, can't say no to because like for those listening, Adler Mannheim is, uh, probably top three most pronounced uh, DL top German league organizations in terms of uh, history, um, amazing arena, amazing apartments. Uh, what else? Money is good. Yeah. So kind of how, how did that opportunity come about? Uh, well, I mean, basically I think it was early January, you know, last year, my agent, had said, Hey, you have an, I have an opportunity to be an idiot if you passed up on it. And this time I said, well, Hey, it's around the same time. Like, Hey man, do you have any opportunities? I'd like to leave the ECHL. Any of those idiot opportunities floating in the air. <laughs> yeah. Any more idiot opportunities floating around. And he said, okay, I'll go looking. And he'd come back every, every week or so with something. Um, some of them, you know, one of the, a couple of times I had, I started packing my stuff. I was ready to go. And then the deal just kind of fell through. And, uh, and so finally, uh, finally, you know, I had, uh, this, this opportunity with Mannheim come up and I said, you know, I know that they're not bringing me in to be a starting goalie, but I am happy to go experience the, the thing, you know, being there. Um, and coincidentally, like the day before I signed the contract, I actually like partially tore my cat or my MCL, um, in a game. So I knew I wasn't going to be playing in the ECHL for probably three weeks anyways. Right. So I was like, you know, I'll tell them that I've done this and if they still want to have me, I will be a hundred percent on board. I'm going to go. And they said, yeah, don't worry. Well, we'll, we'll treat you. You're going to be our third goalie for now. And then I get there. My, my MCL is not so bad. It's only a, I only needed like a week and a half off. And uh, I, I get there and the day I arrived there starting goalie tears the same MCL, but way worse. So I basically got thrust into that backup role right away. Um, but yeah, it was, they, they brought me on as insurance uh, just to make sure that they had a goalie that could handle the, if, it, if I needed to. And uh, while I never got that opportunity, it was uh, exciting to be there and just to absolutely see how insane European fans can be. And I think Mannheim fans are up there as probably some of the craziest. They, uh, they love the team really hard and they uh, definitely let the team know when they're not happy with it. So um, you know, the full, the full European fan experience for sure. Yeah. They're definitely something else. Um, I live as some of, you know, 50 minutes from there, the team 
Mannheim was affiliated with in the second league I played for, um, stuff like that. I have a buddy, Jordan Schwartz, plays on Mannheim. Um, know the GM Axel well. He was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. So I know the pressures that come there. And uh, yeah, man, I'm sure it was a great experience. I was hoping you would get in that last game. But at the same time, you yeah. know, Arnold Tiefensy, such a young talent uh, being a starter in that league. You know, there's a good chance he'll get drafted uh, this NHL draft. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, I'm sure it was still cool. You know, like I've heard a lot of good things about their goalie coach. So like, I'm sure it was cool working with him every 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 day like i don't know i just see they keep goalies that go there like they seem to just pan out and go you know play in the dl like arnold's obviously been a good example he's been a good project i think um yeah. uh pentofsky who was there before who i knew a bit and how brown like he's a starter in, in cologne now so like it just seems like they do some good development there yeah i mean the goalie coach there petri uh he's a bit of a legend himself in the DEL and uh, in Russia and Finland. So he, uh, I didn't even realize it when I, when I first met him, you know, quite the, the scale of his legend there. But, uh, you know, I looked up his stats at some point and I just was shocked by his like consistent, like nine, nine thirty save percentage in the, in the Dell and in Russia and, and some of the stories he had from all the things. So it was good. He was uh, happy to work with me and not try to make changes, but, you know, given the late, you know, how late in the season it was, we, we were working on certain things and, um, you know, given a full season, he might be a bit more pushy about certain, some things I can imagine, but, uh, I know he, he knows what he's talking about. You know, he's, uh, he obviously was a great goalie and he's a nice guy, great coach. And we had some good chats about things as well. I know I was feeling a little bit guilty about leaving Wichita, you know, when I, when I went there and, and just the fact that Wichita ended up missing the playoffs after I left because of me, but, uh, it was uh he had some some good advice and you know he's been through similar situations himself so he he knew the right things to say you gotta look out for you man that's uh that's what i say and you know obviously it was the right decision because you've signed in uh innsbruck next season and the uh, the ice hl their top league in austria and we talked about it off camera so they're they're playing in the champions league this year which is a tremendous uh tournament to play in uh lots of teams in it from all the top leagues in europe are you excited for that? Do you feel uh, you're ready to to be on that type of scale? I mean, it'll be interesting. I, I Mannheim was in in the Champions League last year, and uh, and so I talked to some of the players there about it. I mean, lots of those guys have been in the Champions League over and over and over again, so they're kind of you know they're you know like oh it's like it's a cool little vacation for us, but it doesn't like you know they they don't they don't mind it they don't care about it as much, but. I know that uh, just the getting the opportunity to to be in it, you know, I'm sure the first first few times is is an incredible experience. So I'm looking forward to that. It'll be eye opening, I'm sure, to to be playing on. I, I know I would say Austria is considered the the top the you know it's in the top tier of of team of uh, of leagues in Europe, but not quite the same as the Dell or as uh, Sweden or as Finland, but. Um, it'll be interesting to play against those teams and, and really see, you know, in a one game series, how can, how can we do against them? Cause I know I've heard about uh, teams from uh, the UK and from Norway and from other leagues that get to go play in the champions league. You know, it's uh it's a bit tough on them. So it'll be, it'll be fun to see how we can do this year against some of those, the big teams there, like, you know, Geneva and we'll be playing against uh I can't even remember. I think Skelethia maybe in, in Sweden, but uh, there's some there's some big, big names we'll be playing and it'll be interesting to see how we do. 
it's tough on a lot of teams to be honest because like the the teams like england and france like they're pumped for this and then you got teams like you know the top league in sweden they're just like oh my god we're in this tournament for the fifth time in a row like you know as you said when you get someone when it's a new experience i've heard from people who played like the first you know two years like going to different countries and stuff it's cool but at the same time it's more hockey so these guys are like yeah i gotta leave if you're if you're if you're uh you're uh, import for example like you gotta leave your home maybe three weeks earlier than you normally would or a month earlier so that takes away from your summer so i get it from from both perspectives obviously myself never did it so i would love you know like you have the experience to try it once and uh I'm sure you'll get your your work, but uh, you know more rubber is always good. Um, yeah. Transitioning away from hockey, we're just gonna slowly touch on your hobbies. So obviously, right now you're oh. way up north uh, in a cabin. Uh, I know you're a big fisher fisherman, like you love fishing, kind of those outdoor activities like that. Like, how did you kind of fall in love with with that side of it? Uh, I mean. My family used to go camping all the time when I was a, when I was a kid, you know, one or one or two trips a summer. And every time we'd go, my dad would take me fishing basically. And, uh, you know, my dad and his, his brother, they were big, they love fishing. So kind of just started with that. And then, uh, as I got older, we didn't go camping so much anymore. And, uh, you know, I ended up actually after high school while playing junior hockey, I, I worked in an automotive shop for a full year and, uh, and I, the, my boss there was a huge fisherman. And so basically, you know, I knew I, I loved it growing up just from my dad and my uncles and stuff, introducing it to me. Um, and then I met this guy and he was like a hardcore fisherman. And so we take me out in his boat and we go like every weekend or every couple weekends and just got really, really into it then. So hasn't, uh, hasn't really slowed down since then. Definitely try to bring my fishing stuff with me wherever I go. I, didn't get to do a lot of fishing in Wichita because unfortunately it was like a black hole of fishing, but, uh, you know, living in Worcester and living in Salt Lake city and lots of great places living by the beach in Florida. There were so many great places to fish in the ECHL. And, uh, you know, I didn't bring my fishing stuff to Norway. I did bring it to, to Mannheim, but there was nowhere to go, unfortunately. So I'm glad I'm not going back there, but, uh, I hear it's, I hear there's incredible fishing in Innsbruck. So I'm looking forward to bringing some stuff over there as well. First thing you're looking for when you're signing a deal. I don't care about the money. Can you yeah. fish? Yeah. <laughs> the team name is the Sharks. Okay, that'll, that'll work. It's water. I'm good. Yeah, um, we're good. Do you kind of use it too, like just kind of like a place to get away and kind of clear your head? Because obviously, you know, as you grow older, you appreciate the the summers. And, you know, as you said, you were grinding in the coast, uh, going to different places in Europe. Is it just a nice w- place to kind of escape? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, whether it's going out on a boat or walking in a river, you know, with their waders on and stuff. It's, uh, it's just peaceful. It's quiet, right? Up, up here, you know, I, I, my cottage here isn't on some busy, busy lake where you have people water skiing and tubing and stuff. It's once you get around the corner from the cottage and the up river in the boat, it's, you know, there's no one there. You might see one or two boats go by over a couple hours, but it's empty. So it's so nice and quiet to be up here. And, uh, yeah, I just like kind of, being in my own head, not having to think about things outside of fishing, you know, you're absorbed in that one thing for that, for the moment and, uh, and just forgetting everything else. So it's a nice relaxing hobby. Yeah. It's good to have things like that. I think, cause you obviously, uh, hockey's one side of your life. It's, but it's not your full life and it's nice to take a break. Um, so the ultimate questions now, um, 
how long do you do you do you plan to play for you know in your perfect world like how long would you like to play and do you have any plans for for after hockey when that day eventually does come well when i when i graduated from college i figured i will try to play for i'd like to play for at least five years is what i said then and so five years has come now and uh going into this past season i said let's try one more season and see how we feel during that season and after that season. And I played last this past season and I just kept loving it. So I am very excited to be going to Europe for, for my first season. I figure I'll give it a few few seasons here, see uh how high I can climb up the up the European scale basically. But you know, I can't imagine I can't imagine having such a bad season right now that I'd want to quit. Like I I could see myself, you know, my if my body holds up, I could see myself playing another five years. You know, I could see if it's if things are going well after those five years, I could see myself playing another five years after that, right? Like, you know, that that would take me basically until I'm 40. But I I I can see that if I get to a position where I am uh you know comfortably making enough money that I, I feel happy to keep doing it and my body's holding up and I get to go see cool places, uh, I could see myself doing it for a long time still. And anything after hockey, like, have you thought about that or is it still so far, far away that you're like, you no, know, which is, it's fair, yeah. like, right? Like some people, you know, they're, they're planning, okay, I'm, whenever I'm done, this one I'm going to go into it. Like, you know, I had friends yeah. who they knew right away, I'm going to be a cop. I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to do this with my degree. Or are mm-hmm. you just kind of taking it year, year by year and you'll figure it out? Uh, no, I've got a plan. I mean, I do lots of, uh, I do like home renovation basically on the side in the summer. And so I figure I, I've always loved building things. I've always loved like tinkering th- with things. And I would have liked to have been an engineer at some point, but you know, I know you can appreciate the grind of college hockey and, and, uh, and going to school and stuff. And I had a, more than a few universities and colleges tell me that if you want to do that, you have to be an absolute genius because the balance is just not there. Um, and I've seen that actually, because uh, one of my teammates at Hamilton uh, went, uh, went on to furthering schooling to become an engineer. And he was the runner-up for valedictorian. He was the second smartest kid in the school, right? So I know it's not an easy balance, but getting to build things uh, is kind of my my way of, of getting to be that creative and get to design things and, and do stuff like that. So I think that when I'm done hockey, I'll probably be doing some uh, carpentry, some renovations, maybe some remodeling kind of work, basically. Everybody needs people like that, man. That's a cool cool industry to be in and if you know you're kind of good with like your hands with like you know building stuff tinkering with stuff that's good yeah um all right three more questions for you and then i'll uh stop taking up your time here um do you think uh looking back you would have had the career you had like if you were you know when you're making your way up through the junior ranks playing d3 like did you think oh my god i would have i would be where i am today or is it kind of a little bit of a shock for you um, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I knew that, uh, I, I felt like the ECHL was a very attainable goal. I mean, not necessarily to have the success that I've had in it, but I felt like I always felt like through college, I felt like if I wanted to play in the ECHL, I could probably play there as long as I wanted. Um, but, uh, I don't think I would have guessed, you know, the opportunity in Norway or Germany or, you know, I, I was the runner up for goalie of the year in the ECHL at one year and I've been, you know, all star and stuff like that. I don't think I would have guessed quite that level of success, but 
I think I, I think I'm pretty much on, on track with what I would have liked to have done. So it's a good way to look at it. And this, the next one, like, so this actually, I, I take pride in this too, because I feel like I did it when I was playing. How does it feel not applying to the D3 stigma? So the D3 athlete stigma, like everybody told, like when I left Niagara at D1, everyone told me like coaches there were telling me, yeah, good luck, man. Your career is over. Enjoy, you know, D3. Like, and it was just like, it motivated me, but it's, there's so many people that, you know, have that label and they can't get past it. Where myself and yourself included, like we were able to not apply to it. Like we should have been maybe higher, but for reasons we couldn't control we, we weren't and now you know we end up having a pretty good career out of it you're still living yours obviously yeah i mean i think that uh if you're listening to anyone from niagara university at that time i'd probably tell them to go uh, kick rocks or something but the uh the stigma i think is you know it's just the classic stereotype of division three you know like the people don't understand how good division three hockey is. There's no division two, you know, other sports, there's division one, division one, a division two, division three, division four hockey is, you know, a small sport in us college hockey. And, and, uh, and to basically be playing division one or division three, you have to be a reasonably good player, you know, and there are terrible programs in both levels and there are great programs in both levels, obviously. Right. So uh, if you can find your way, you know, if you if you have the drive to to be playing as competitively as you can in Division Three hockey, you'll probably find yourself on one of those good teams. And if you want to keep playing, then you just got to keep going, and you're going to get an opportunity, you know. And so, anyone who really looks at the D three label and doesn't look beyond, you know, past the surface, is just cheating themselves of a good player. Because I think uh, you know, through my time in Wichita, especially, they were never shy of you know to go out and find a good D three player or go find some random overlooked player that, that doesn't quite fit the, uh, the mold. So, um, anyone who's, anyone who's, who's thinking that way is definitely just missing out because there's a lot of great, great players out there. You know, I think there's a higher percentage of players that play D3 for sure that aren't interested in continuing on to pro after. So maybe that colors their perspective a bit, but the ones that do want to are, are generally pretty, pretty good players. So. Amen, man. Um, mm-hmm. You, like as you said like there's definitely no matter what division there's going to be good programs and bad programs i know like oswego for example we would have wiped the floor with most of the atlantic like we we had guys who just didn't you know they wanted to whether it was you know go enjoy school party like enjoy all that stuff or they didn't have the grades like they were great hockey players really good junior careers but they just couldn't for whatever reason didn't go d1 and I, playing in that division like there was rinks where we're having 300 people a game like Oswego we're having 3,000 sold out arena every game nicer facilities in some of those rinks yeah um you know so th- there is there's many reasons and you know some of those schools should be d1 and probably some d1 schools should be d3 but they want to fund the scholarship so like you can't control that stuff but I definitely mm-hmm. agree that the athletes you know it's all about how you progress every year so maybe if you're a d3 player maybe you weren't ready to take the d1 level that could be another thing but if you're progressing every year working on your game and you want to do that grind after or or work your way up after you might be better off than somebody who is just staying flat at d1 they might get an opportunity before you because of the the level they play but it doesn't mean it's going to work out for them oh yeah sure Um, then last one here um 
what is one piece of advice or maybe multiple pieces if you if you have them you would give your younger self so if you are talking to a younger evan at 16 17 18 or talking to some young athletes out there at those ages who you know find your story very interesting like what 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 are some piece of advice you'd give them this is hard um i think that uh like strength training cannot be overstated and how important it is for one thing um you know you might not like this next piece but goalie coaching a lot of it can also be you know learned by yourself you know like i'm not sure how to say this to be honest because i feel like when i was before i came on the ice with you i was on with uh david chance for two years and before that i didn't have a goalie coach for like five years and so like the, through the formative years of junior hockey i didn't have a goalie coach at all and so you know if you watch hockey, if you're a student of the game, if you invest in your strength training, um, a lot of pieces can fall fall into place for you. And I think maybe I'm lucky, maybe I am blessed with some some gifts or something that that helped me get through that stage of, of lack of goalie coaching. But there's a lot of stuff you can do on your own that doesn't require expensive training or expensive goalie coaching to to get there. And and you know, watching the great goalies that are out there, picking up certain habits they have or you know, new trends and new techniques and goaltending that are coming into the NHL. There's a lot of ways to to get information and to and to improve on your game without having to, you know, invest in some of you I'm sure you knew, but some of the goalie coaches when we were growing up in Toronto were like five hundred dollars an hour. And, you know, whose parents can afford that other than the richest kids, right? So you don't need you don't need to go be on the ice with these coaches every every week, you know. There are lots of great young, you know, great younger coaches or great uh, family-oriented coaches that will help you. And if that's too much, even then, there's lots of resources available online that'll help you get there. So, I think uh, not worrying so much maybe about how long it takes to get there or how, who you're working with, but just making sure that you're learning what you need to learn, however that comes, and just uh, and trying to advance that way. Yeah, I mean, to be quite honest, like. Uh, I didn't feel attacked because I feel it depends on the person and you have to find as a, as an athlete, what works for you. So you could be someone like yourself that was able to have so much success where you didn't really use any goalie coaching. Then you tried some things, maybe took some things you liked from it, but then implemented it into your own training instead of spending the money where there's some goalies who like myself, like I, I felt going on the ice alone, I wouldn't be able to see things to make adjustments because it's not you have a different set of eyes on you so i would i would go to these goalie coaches and i tried many goalie coaches throughout my life and and found yeah. what worked for me and i know goalie coaches or sorry goalies that they got to a certain age are like i don't need these goalie coaches anymore i'm just gonna go on this with myself and, and that's yeah. but as you said that's just to everyone listening out there you have to find what is working when you're seeing the results i would say keep doing it until it gets to a point where you feel hey maybe i can break away from this or i want to try something new because if you're spending all this money and it's not working sorry to all the goalie coaches out there but if it's not working then maybe you got to try something else or maybe there's a different approach so i get what you're saying 100 and you're right like in the gta area some of these goalie coaches like what they're being paid like they're they're definitely pricing based on the gta like there's a lot of money in the greater toronto area so they take advantage of it which is good for them like that's smart business but uh 
no uh you didn't uh even though you felt like you're about to cut my legs out there um it's all good i understand no. what you're saying yeah i mean i also i also appreciate that uh, i actually saw uh, a different podcast or a clip from a different podcast recently where they were talking about uh you know is the grass greener on the other side switching goalie coaches and stuff like that at different points and you know if you're getting like you just said if you're getting results then no it's probably not greener on the other side but there's also something to be said for like you were talking about as well again just uh you know seeing what different people have to say right and i you know over the last i didn't have a goalie coach last year again actually but uh the previous few years right i i was with you for a few years i was with david chance for a few years before that i was with someone else for a couple of years after and so just getting everyone else everyone has these interesting ideas and uh and getting to pick up on what works is is important but uh you know, the grass is not always green on the other side, but at the same time, sometimes it's interesting to see what other people have to say. So, yeah, it's just building your own. I always say it's building your own recipe. Like everyone's recipe yeah. for success is different. It's unique because everyone as a human is different. So I, mm-hmm. I encourage people to try, try multiple things. If you like it, stay with it. If you don't, don't feel the pressure to stay with it and just take, take just because you might, might have a, a goalie coach, for example, where you you don't like maybe how it how it goes for the the month you try or whatever you can still take pauses of it like oh he was really good with this section of goaltending or i like mm-hmm. how we did this here and then you just build build your own training plan your own recipe and uh yeah that's basically all all it is goaltending it's just small adjustments so and there's a lot of different ways to do it too so you know you can be a nice blocking goalie you can be a gamer like me or you can uh figure some other way out as well Throw the odd stack the pads and don't be afraid to throw those in, eh, Evan? <laughs> once in a while. Once in a while. Once in a while. Well, man, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Honestly, uh, this was great. Um, you definitely have a cool way to lo- looking at it. You're definitely a smart individual. So I think that was educational as well for the listeners. And, you know, just personally, like big fan of yours. I, I love watching how you've risen up every every year. No matter where you go, you seem to have success. Very excited to watch you this year. And uh in Innsbruck, um, know a couple guys who've played there before said they really enjoyed it. So we'll stay in touch, man. And again, appreciate uh, you taking the time and uh, sharing everything with uh, the listeners. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is a great experience here. So glad you enjoyed it. And yeah, for those listening, this will be my last one in Canada for a bit. I'm heading back to Germany this week. So you'll see me next time. We'll be back in the old, the old recording spot. So until then, cheers and ciao.